All right, why don't you grab your Bible, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter three. We began our study last week in Ezekiel and we found, um, well, already getting into some of the mysterious, mystical stuff that Ezekiel saw and he was kind of a whole nother level and a different kind of prophet. And, uh, and we ended last week there uh, in chapter two where Ezekiel was instructed by the Lord to eat something. Um, but what was he supposed to eat? Well, it was kind of an unlikely thing. I remember as a kid hearing about a, a guy named Michael Lotito. Um, during his lifetime, Michael Lotito uh, was born uh, in 1950 in June uh, of Grenoble, France. And um, he was a guy who ate metal and glass. He was famous for doing this. <laughs> and throughout his lifetime, beginning in 1959, uh, gastroenterologists x-rayed his stomach and described his ability to consume 900 grams or, or two pounds of metal per day. Uh, they said there's something unique about him. And as they studied him, uh, they realized that you know, he was just kind of unique in the way that his stomach and digestive system worked. Since uh, 1966, his diet included 18 bicycles, 15 supermarket baskets, seven TV sets, six chandeliers, two beds, a pair of skis, and a low-calorie Cessna light aircraft, uh, uh, and also a computer. Um, he is said to provide the only example in history of a coffin um, handles and all, ending up inside a man. Uh, he ate a coffin uh, as well. <laughs> um, he, he first became aware of his ability when, when he had a glass in his hand, when he, uh, which he was drinking from, and it broke, and he began chewing the fragments. Um, by uh, um, October 1997, he had eaten nearly nine tons of metal. Um, and he said that bananas and hard-boiled eggs made him sick. He died of natural causes, <laughs> June 25th, 2007. What an interesting guy. Maybe you remember seeing him in the World Guinness Book of World Records. They had to stop uh, putting that in the Guinness Book because people couldn't do what he was doing and they were trying and people were dying trying to eat stuff that this guy ate. He could do it. They, they actually tested his uh, intestinal lining and it was like, uh, it was like bulletproof. It was leather, like leather. Uh, and and uh, just kind of an interesting guy. But, uh, you know, eating weird stuff, well, Ezekiel's asked to eat something that we wouldn't normally ask to eat, and that is a scroll. Take the scroll and eat it up. That's what Ezekiel was told. Let's pick it up where we left off. Last week, there in chapter two, it says here uh, in verse eight, um, it says, but thou, chapter two, verse eight, but thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee, be not thou rebellious like the rebellious house, Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. And when I looked, behold, a hand was sent upon me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without, and there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. And verse one of chapter three, moreover, he said unto me, son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So, so he's supposed to eat the roll. Now, if this was a you know, cinnamon roll, uh, I'm in. But the scroll, uh, he's supposed to eat up the scroll of a book. What's that all about? Well, verse two, so I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then I did eat it and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. Interesting here, um, Ezekiel uh, is gonna be quite picturesque in a lot of the examples and illustrations. And you know, some people just dismiss the book of Ezekiel as weird. And this is one of the things, eating a scroll. Okay, got it, weird, let's go have a burger. You know, and so they just don't wanna talk about it. But you gotta understand all of this has meaning and all of it is, is very figurative. In fact, in the next several chapters, we're gonna see Ezekiel doing some really strange behavioral things that are all meant to be lessons for the children of Israel, but also lessons for you and for me that we can hopefully glean from and learn from. But this idea of eating a scroll might sound foreign unless you're a Bible student. 
uh, we read about eating up the book of the word uh, in several places. Uh, and, and there's some interesting things about this scroll. One thing that we're told about it is it has writing on both sides of the roll. Uh, does anybody remember, you Bible students, where else do we find a roll or a scroll that's written on both sides? Book of Revelation. And uh, that's an interesting thing because it, it causes for me just a little confusion. If you do your study in history, most of the scrolls were not written on both sides. Um, the reason is functionally that's a little hard. Uh, you know, you'd have to roll it one way and then you'd have to roll it up the other way. And if you wanted to get to the other one, you have to unroll it and re-roll it the other direction and see the other side. It's a little tricky. There was, however, a roll or a document that was often rolled with both sides printed on, and that was none other than title deeds uh, to property. Uh, and, and there would be written on both sides on a title deed, information defining the property, defining the terms of your purchase and your mortgage or whatever the situation was. And those would be often scrolls that were shorter, but they were written on both sides. Maybe it was to save, you know, paper, I don't know. Um, but that's the main thing. If you, if you look at it historically, those scrolls were titled these. Now this fits, by the way, with the book of Revelation because if you recall, the, the, the scroll there in Revelation chapter one is none other than the title deed to planet earth. So that all makes sense. But why is this scroll here with Ezekiel written on both sides? Is it a title deed? Well, it doesn't seem so unless the lamentation and mourning that's talked about has to do with the reason John kind of freaked out in the book of Revelation. Remember when, when the Lord, you know, up there in that heavenly scene, it says in the book of Revelation, who's worthy to open up and loose the seals of this scroll, of this book? And, and that's the title deed in, in the book of Revelation there. And there was no one worthy. And so John starts to kind of freak out. Oh no, there's no one worthy, worthy to take back the earth from Satan, the title deed to planet earth. But then he's comforted there because behold, Jesus was the one worthy to open up and loose the seals on that scroll. And uh, that, that's the whole story of Revelation, how Jesus is the one who earns the right by dying on the cross for the sins of the world, taking back. Right now, Satan's the prince of this world. Jesus said Satan is the God of this world. But there's coming a time where Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will take rightful reign in the throne in Jerusalem. He'll take the title deed back. So interesting here, this scroll, like the one in Revelation chapter one, this scroll here is, interestingly enough, um, uh, written on both sides. So you wonder, but our definition of what it is um, in verse 10 of chapter two, it was written on both sides, within and without, and there was written there in lamentations and mourning and woe. Some people wonder, is this the scroll of Jeremiah? Because Jeremiah wrote the lamentations and his book of Jeremiah was a very uh, mournful book and maybe we're just reading Jeremiah and it happens to be written on both sides. That could be. But some say, no, this could be that same title deed uh, to the world and Ezekiel just doesn't see the full picture until the book of Revelation comes out. Uh, so there's debate on what is this scroll, but most agree this is uh, an, a sort of an idiom or a type of the word of God in general. And we get that from so many of the other passages in the Bible. Um, you might wanna jot some of these down. Um, like for example, it says, when he did eat the scroll, verse three, uh, it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. Does that ring a bell? Um, jot down Psalm 19, verse 10. There in Psalm 19, 10, it says, speaking of the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord that's perfect, converting the soul, remember that whole Psalm 19. But it says, speaking of the word, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Um, the idea of the word of God is being sweet as honey. Uh, that's a common thing that we see in the Bible. It's not just in Psalm 19, it's also Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, verse 103, the scriptures say of itself, how sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The psalmist wrote about how the word of God is sweet. You know, um, I find the word of God to be sweet. And, uh, and, and mostly when, I, when I've been sort of hearing and listening and seeing the world and the way the world talks, the way the world thinks. You know, when you watch a lot of news and then you go back to the book, back to the word of God, there's a sweetness to it. 
Um, there's a sweetness in the sense that, man, it's so redemptive. And it's a book about how God loves us and he's merciful and compassionate and gracious. Where we look at the world and we hear what's going on out there, it's harshness and anger and uh, dismissiveness and, and uh, vitriol. Uh, so we go back to the word and we find sweetness to the soul. Uh, sweeter also than honey, even the honey of the honeycomb. It's not just Psalm 119, Psalm 19, but also um, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. It says, in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips uh, is wise. Um, we're gonna see here in Ezekiel chapter three that he's gonna read the word of God, but he's also gonna have to be careful what he says with his own word, his own lips. That's gonna be a major part of this chapter three of, of uh, yeah, read the word, but be careful what you say with your words. Wouldn't it be great if you and I would speak the sweetness of the word and then be really careful with our own words uh, because the word is sweet uh, and that's something you and I can pass on to others. But uh, uh, all that to say, the word of God. I love, I love the sweetness of the word of God um, speaking of eating a book, Jeremiah, by the way, spoke of eating the book as well in Jeremiah 15, 16. We read this a few months ago. It says, thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me joy and rejoicing in my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. There's a sweetness to the word. Now, interesting, while there's a sweetness to the word, did you know that there's also sort of a bitterness to the word. Have you ever read the word and felt a bitterness in your belly? Um, maybe that gut feeling where you feel like, ugh. You know, it's just not, it's not, it's not always sweet. It can be bitter. Where do you get that? Well, not from Ezekiel, as it turns out. Uh, keep your finger here and flip over to the book of Revelation with me. In Revelation chapter 10. We told you there uh, about the book of the scroll, um, you know, that was in Revelation chapter one the title deed and what have you. But also in, um, also in Revelation chapter 10, uh, this is where John is, is uh, told to eat the word. So this, this is such a theme in the Bible. It's Revelation chapter 10, verse eight is where we'll begin. Now, by the way, this, this chapter 10 of book of Revelation is uh, awesome. It's during the tribulation period and there's gonna be crazy stuff going on in the tribulation. We're gonna see, uh, according to the Bible, those that are here, not us, but angels flying around declaring the glory of God. That, that's gonna be kind of awesome. Uh, don't you wonder if the people with their mark of the beast will go, oh man, I chose poorly. Uh, seeing these angels flying around saying, you're pretty much doomed. Um, but in, in, in Revelation chapter 10, there's this huge angel, giant, and he puts one foot in the ocean and one foot on the continent and starts speaking. Like, like do you get, I'm not talking about staying on the beach with one foot in the water and one foot on the sand. It, it's like this honking angel, giant, and one foot you know, in the ocean, one foot on the land, and everybody's gonna be stunned by this angel. Um, that's what, what you see in chapter 10. But during that, that angel uh, appearance, the voice comes to John in the revelation about Jesus Christ and he speaks and, and he says this in verse eight. In uh, Revelation 8, uh, 10, eight, it says, and the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, give me the little book. And he said unto me, take it and eat it up and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it'll be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. Sounds like you're eating it, you know, um, uh, you know like Denny's or something. <laughs> Sweetness going in, but bitterness in the belly. <laughs> And, verse 11, and he said unto me, thou must prophesy again before many people and nations and tongues and kings. Interesting that before John would prophesy before many nations, tongues, kindreds, and people, he had to eat up the word of, of God and it would be sweetness going in, but bitterness in the belly. Why would the word of God cause bitterness when you eat it up? 
I think that, you know, there's, there's the sweetness because of the redemptive nature of the Lord and his kindness and his compassion and the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace. All those things are great. Um, but the word has a bitterness to it in that, um, and this is the part that I think, by the way, some churches are leaving out of their agenda. You gotta read the whole Bible and there's parts of the Bible that are a little bit bitter. Uh, things like sin and wrath and hell and judgment and God's holiness and what he demands of us to be righteous. And people say, ah, oh, let's forget that part. That makes my belly bitter. So let's just talk about the fun stuff. So then you got Joel Osteen there in Texas, you know, with, uh, with his message of just, you know, only happy, happy, happy. He won't ever talk about sin or the wrath of God or judgment that is still coming. You know, the Bible, there's some bitterness in the Bible, but the bitterness drives us to the truth of the redemptive work of God. And I believe it's really difficult to hear the real gospel message unless you know that judgment is coming, that wrath is on our way. Uh, it's coming to us apart from the redemptive work of Jesus. Um, you know, I've always likened it to, and, and uh, you know, the, the, who is it? Ray Comfort, Way of the Master, he tells a story. Uh, when he's speaking the gospel, you gotta tell people the bad side first. Um, and he uses the example of, you know, you're on a uh, 747 flying to Europe and the flight attendant comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, we have for your enjoyment, you know, a few peanuts and, and some, uh, you know, Time magazines and, and an iPad with some movies. If you'd like, you can have those. And also we have uh, some parachutes. If you'd like a parachute, we'll issue each one of you a parachute. Um, and, and you'd say, well, that's great. Uh, parachute's a little cumbersome holding it in my seat and I don't really need a parachute, I don't think so. I'll take the iPad and the peanut. Um, but, but what if the flight attendant actually said this? Um, by the way, you can have some you know, iPad and movie enjoyment and some peanuts and stuff. But as it turns out, we're out of fuel, we're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and this plane's going down in three minutes. Who would like a parachute? Um, you see, at that point, suddenly, oh, everybody forget the peanut, forget the iPad, just give me the parachute. I don't care if it's uncomfortable. I don't care what has to happen. But, you know, you, you need to have that sense of urgency. And, and if a pastor doesn't give the bitter part of the Bible, people are going to go, ah, salvation, if it makes me feel good, if, if, if salvation makes me happy and wealthy. And, um, you know, it's really sadly the American gospel being preached here today where it lacks the true full story of why you need to be saved, why you need to repent of your sins. We leave that part out and so people think, oh, you mean becoming a Christian makes me happy and healthy and wealthy and that's not what being a Christian is. You're doomed to hell because of your sin and the good news is God loved you so much that he came and died on the cross for your sins. If you don't get the doomed part and the wrath and the righteousness and the holiness of God part, you're not gonna really see the need for salvation. So that's when the Bible says of itself, the bitterness, I think. It's talking about the bitterness of our own sin and our own failure and our own, you know, really doomed direction. But that's also where the sweetness comes in, where we see the salvation that Christ gives to the world. So we see John here speaking of the, you know, the bitter and the sweet uh, together. Um, so really this whole idea of eating up the word, it's all throughout the Bible. Um, by the way, even Jesus talked about this, didn't he? Uh, when, when he was there in, in uh, Matthew chapter five, there on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus said, and Matt, you can jot this down in your notes if you want to, Matthew 5, 4. Do you remember when he was led out in the wilderness to be tempted? Uh, I shouldn't say the Sermon on the Mount, but um, it was um, when he was led out in the wilderness to be tempted there in Matthew 4. Um, and it says, you know, when, when uh, uh, Satan tried to tempt Jesus with making stones into bread. Jesus said this, um, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Isn't that interesting? Jesus was hungry. He hadn't eaten, you know, for 40 days. And Satan tempts him. You just command these stones and turn them into bread. You have the power to do that. But Jesus said, Man, man shall not work, uh, live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The word of God was his sustenance. It's what he needed. Um, and, and even the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews uh, chapter uh, five, do you remember what the author of Hebrews compared the word of God to? Um, he, he said it's both 
uh, food like milk, but also like meat. Uh, in Hebrews 5, he's, he's challenging the, the Jewish people by saying uh, in Hebrews 5, 12, for when at time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles in the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. But strong meat belongs to them that are full of age, even those by reason of use have exercised by their senses to discern both good and evil. The author of Hebrews is saying, man, you can be drinking the milk like a baby, um, but you also need to grow up and start you know, getting into the meat of the word of God. That's what he says, the unskillful person in the word of righteousness, he's just a baby, still nursing. But um, the Hebrews should have been you know, experts in the word of God and, and uh, eating some ribeye steaks. I like that analogy, by the way. It's a good analogy. So, so scriptures all over the place about the word of God likened to food and, uh, and sustenance. Now, I mean, if you go to basic you know, food 101, what does food do for you? Well, it's enjoyable, uh, but it's also, uh, you know, gives life. You gotta eat. If you just stop eating uh, forever, you will die. Sad to say, I think there's people that are Christians and they wanna walk with the Lord, but they wonder why they're spiritually dead. And it has to do with they've not been eating of the word of God. And, and the, the correlations of eating the word and, and stuff, they just go on and on and on. Think of everything you can think of that has to do with food and sustenance, and you kind of go, wow, it, it sort of fits. For example, if you're eating junk food all day, are you gonna be hungry for a steak, for a really nice dinner? Um, you know, I've used the example before, and I, I don't do this as much anymore, but when I was a young man, uh, and I was newly married, uh, you know, as a single guy, you kinda just get food wherever you can, and you kinda survive that way. But I, uh, I remember once, once uh, I got married, my, my lovely wife, Debbie, she would cook these nice meals, and I'd, I'd know that they were at home and ready to go. And, um, but you know, I'd kind of forget sometimes, and I'd be a little hungry, and on my way home, I think, I'll just get a little, a little uh, you know, uh, snack before I get home for dinner. Uh, and I'd stop by and get a delicious, just a small snack, you know, a double quarter pounder and, um, and some French fries and a hot fudge sundae and, you know, just, just a little snack. And I'd junk food out, you know, and then I'd get home and I'd smell the aroma of, you know, chicken cordon bleu or, or you know, something really delightful that Debbie cooked up. But the problem was I, I wasn't really even hungry anymore. And I didn't have the appetite for the good stuff. And I learned very quickly that that wasn't good for marriage. Uh, you might, you young guys learn from an old guy here. Uh, you shouldn't do that. That's, that's a lose in a marriage situation. Uh, so I've learned to come home very hungry. And I've also learned even if I'm not hungry, I'm still really hungry <laughs> when I get home. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, no, it, it's, really, it's really something how, um, you know, we can junk food out. And, and people, if they're taking in, you know, all kinds of entertainment with their eyes and consuming, you know, uh, material that's just kind of worldly and cotton candy and, and uh, the French fries and all that stuff, uh, spiritually, you're gonna, you're gonna be lacking and you need to eat food that's good and gonna give you strength, you know, and, and the word of God is that. It gives you the strength and the sustenance to be strong and healthy. Uh, I love that about the word of God. So there's a spiritual correlation there as well. But all that to say, um, this chapter, chapter three sort of divides up into several little chunks, five little sections I'd like to show you as we look at chapter three. The first section is um, the consuming of God's word, verses one through three. You might even say verses eight, nine, and 10 of chapter two is included there. Uh, in, in this description of you know, Ezekiel eating up the word of God or consuming the word. And, uh, and he's given that charge. And I think that you and I have to remember to be those that eat of the word of God. And, and, and like you eat food daily, you need to eat, read the word daily um, and, and eat it up. And uh, it'll be sweetness as you eat it, uh, good stuff, uh, honey. But that's, that's the consuming of God's word. Now, before Ezekiel could do the rest of his ministry, that's the first thing that had to happen. 
the consuming of God's word. Then, and only then, after he consumes the word of God, the scroll, it's then, number two on our list here, the commissioning to preach God's word. After the consuming of God's word, he then was given the commission to preach God's word. Let's take a look at that. It's in chapter three, verse four. And it says there, and he said unto me, son of man, go get thee unto the house of Israel and speak with my words unto them. How do you speak the word of God? You gotta know the word of God. Um, Boy, uh, wise is the man, wise is the woman who has the word of God on the tip of their tongue. Um, So many people need to hear good wisdom. Uh, Your friends need to hear good wisdom. Well, Brett, I'm a pretty smart person and I could give them a thing or two, give them a piece of my mind. Truthfully, I've learned I don't have much of my mind to give. I need to keep every little piece I have. But every time I share the word with someone, oh, it's powerful and it's applicable. Um, Have you guys noticed in your own personal morning devotions when you're reading something, um, how the Lord tends to use that that very same day? Have you ever found that to be true? Like I've been reading the word in the morning and I'll think, man, I don't even know how that applies to me, but whatever. And then I go off to work and then somebody talks to me and it's like, wait a minute, that perfectly falls in line with what I read this morning in my morning devotions. And I, and I can show people, see the, the Bible says, and they're thinking that I pulled it off of some massive database in my brain. But actually it was what I read this morning, you know, and, and uh, the Lord just put that there so that it could be an exacting word for that person for that day. Uh, there's no better thing you can speak to someone than speaking out the word of God. Um, I, if, you're a, if, if you're a good friend, you'll share the word. If you wanna be a legitimate counselor, you won't be uh, giving the, the Freud the fraud, you'll be giving the word of God. That's the better way to go. Uh, good counseling is biblical counseling, giving scripture. And here's what the Bible says. You know, you, you and I should be good at saying, as it is written, written where? In the word of God. So the, the um, premise for Ezekiel's preaching was eating up the word first. Then he was told, uh, verse four, go and speak my words to the people of Israel. And the reason he knew the words of the Lord is because he was in the word of the Lord. Very, very practical, very important part of your and my faith uh, to have the word of God on the tip of our tongues. And he goes on in this section of, you know, the commissioning to preach God's word in verse five. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Ezekiel was you know, called to minister to the Jews. Question, quiz time, see who remembers. Where were the Jews that Ezekiel was ministering to at this time? They were in Babylon, they're in captivity. And Ezekiel was a captive, along with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were living there in Babylon. Ezekiel lived outside of Babylon by the river uh, Kedar. And, um, and so a little outside, but he was a minister. He was speaking to the Jews in their captivity. Verse six, not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language, whose words thou canst not understand. Surely had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are uh, impudent and hard-hearted. Sad. Verse eight, behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Moreover, he said unto me, son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in thine heart and hear with thine ears and go, get thee to them of the captivity unto the children of thy people and speak unto them and tell them, thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. Interesting that the Lord wants them to preach even though they may not listen. Uh, sometimes preachers have had to do that. That's their mode of operation, you know, just preach the word and nobody listens. Jeremiah is the classic example of that. Um, but there have been preachers throughout history um, where no one was listening. Um, it's something that I have to think about because I'm sort of spoiled, I have to say. I live in a day where, and I live in a city that nobody wants to hear the word of God, but, but for some reason, God has blessed Athey Creek. We got a lot of people who are willing to come to a Wednesday night Bible study and hear the word of God. Like, like I don't know why, why I get this great congregation that's willing to do this. 
Um, there's a lot of people that would preach the word in a city and nothing happens. Uh, but for some reason, God is blessing. It, you know, this, this uh, last Sunday, um, it was, you know, normally we don't count people that much just because uh, we, we don't care about, you know, growing a big church or anything like that. But sometimes you have to know how many chairs to set out and stuff like that. And last Sunday was kind of a big test of that. Six services, 7,114 people went through the building this last Sunday and 35,000 people were watching online for the services this weekend. Like, like to me, that's amazing. In a day where people largely are saying, yeah, whatever, on the word of God, for some reason, I think in these days we're living, people are hungry. They're hungry for the word of God. And, and um, I just feel like, oh, thank the Lord that I get to preach the word. It's the, my favorite thing I get to do is share the scriptures. Um, but I also have to be careful because what happens, and God forbid this happens, I know it wouldn't happen with you, um, but if people just said, we don't wanna listen, do you remember what the Bible says about the last days? In the last days, there's gonna be a famine in the land of people willing to you know, hear the word of God. There'll be a famine of, not, not the word of God, but the hearing. People just won't wanna hear it. Um, and uh, I think we're headed there real fast. And for some reason, we're seeing uh, just really great revival here and people, tons of people, over 50 people accepted Christ over the weekend uh, at Athey, which we're just so blessed by. Isn't that awesome? That's the... That's the best part of it, I think. Um, so we've, we've seen the power of the word of God and I think people are, are sensing the word is living and powerful. And uh, I, I just feel like I get the privilege of sharing the word, uh, that's where it's at. But um, the commissioning to preach the word, Jeremiah, was, or pardon me, Ezekiel was told, like Jeremiah, um, you gotta preach it. They probably won't listen to you, but preach it anyway. Um, and, and, and he says something that is interesting that I can relate to. Uh, he says, you know, you can speak to the Hebrew with their, their you, they speak the same language as you, they're your people, but they're not gonna listen to you. You could preach to the Babylonians in their, and they don't even understand your language, but it says, and they'll hearken to what you have to say, the Babylonians. Um, what, what, what's that all about? Well, I've, I've been a part of that in my life. Sometimes God's people, and the Jews are an example of us as God's people, Sometimes we get to a place in our life where we, we've heard the word of God and maybe for decades, maybe you were a part of a God-fearing, Bible-teaching church and congregation, but there can be a human nature thing where it's kind of like, yeah, 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 I've heard that scripture before, whatever. And you become sort of jaded to the word of God. I've already heard the story of Daniel and the lions. And yeah, Brad, we've already. And some people get sort of jaded with that. And, um, and then there's people that are from Babylon who've never heard it. They're like, what, what, what was that? Um, when, um, when I was a young youth pastor, I remember uh, seeing this and the Lord kind of showed me this sec section of scripture. Uh, on the same day, I had two speaking engagements. Uh, um, one was at a Christian school, a high school, that was um, you know, full of Christian kids and it was their morning chapel I was speaking at. And then that afternoon, I was going to a secular high school, the Medford Black Tornadoes. Uh, it used to be one big school, and now it's two. But, um, but I was gonna go speak in a class where the, the uh, teacher in that class was an evolutionist, and the whole class, uh, that whole term was talking and preaching his evolutionary theory. And one of the students challenged him and said, you know, you're, you're not letting anyone speak the other side of that, of that coin. Uh, and you're just you know, spouting evolutionary theory, but you, you need someone here who can tell about creation. Well, the, the, the teacher said, bring it on, find somebody who'll come in and teach in my class. So that's what the student asked me to come and speak in their class. So I said, okay, count me in. So I went to the Medford Black Tornadoes school there and um, it was a big class, a bunch of kids packed in this room and, and uh, you can see the, you know, the teacher sort of you know, looking down his, uh, he was kind of, I think he was wearing a cardigan sweater. He wasn't puffing a pipe. <laughs> but I think he was wearing a cardigan. Um, and I got to share for over an hour in this class. Now, right when I was done, it was lunch hour and the, you know, the bell rung. And, but it was so cool because the kids were just eating up what I was sharing. And I was just sharing what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. This is what the world says. This is evolutionary theory. But here's what the Bible says about how God created the heavens and the earth. And here's why it says it the way it does. And I was able to explain, uh, you know, in my own way as a youth pastor to these kids, when the bell rung, the kids didn't go to lunch. They all stayed and just kept asking me questions. And, you know, the, you could almost tell the teacher was getting uncomfortable in the back there. Uh, it's like, it's time to eat. Uh, but the kids just wanted to hear more about what the Bible had to say. 
the, 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 the speech that I gave to the Christian kids fell on deaf ears, I'm not kidding. I remember thinking, I don't think I'm ever gonna go speak at this school ever again. The early morning one where it was the Christian kids, they were all kind of jaded going, yeah, whatever. You know, we've heard all this Bible stuff. And, and, and I, I saw this sort of A-B comparison, the, the Christian kids and then all the secular kids and the secular kids were hungry. Can I just challenge you, if, if you've been a Christian for a long time, don't let yourself become jaded. You know, well, I already know all this stuff. I already heard all this stuff. Um, you know, what I've learned is I can learn from even a child who's sharing the word of God. And, and, and wise is the person who, who opens their heart and mind to things that, that even the most simple might be sharing. Um, you know, I, I would hope to be one who learns all the time. And, and uh, you know, the best way to get past that is to start sharing the word yourself. I remember when I was hearing my pastor and I'd hear a story that I'd heard him tell before or a Bible thing that he'd already, and I used to think, well, I know what he's gonna say and I could almost mouth the words with him. Um, but I, I was pretty, you know, a little bit arrogant, a little bit highfalutin there um, until I started teaching the word myself. Then I was like, what did he say again? Now, how did he say that? And, and what were the examples and illustrations? And I, I started listening with a great hunger uh, in how my pastor was teaching so that I could, you know, like Paul told Timothy, the things you've heard me teach, that's what I want you to teach, Paul told Timothy. You know, it's almost like the Lord wants us to stand on each other's shoulders. And, uh, you know, none of us are gonna come up with a whole new doctrine ourselves. And if you are, you're probably wacko anyway. But, but you know, when you hear someone teach, learn from them. Uh, when you hear a scripture, don't just, don't just be consumers of teaching and hope that it's entertaining. Take it in and, and internalize it so that, not that you just know it, but you can actually teach it and share it and pass it along. There's so many ways to do that. Um, you dads of young kids in this room, you, you need to take some of the stuff that I'm sharing on Sundays and Wednesdays here and make a family Devo out of it. You know, and you don't have to be fancy. You don't have to talk as long as me. Please don't, your poor kids will not like that. Um, but, but like, you know, uh, even tonight you could share, did you know what Ezekiel was told to eat? Um, and, and you could tell your kids and, and maybe mom could have made some cinnamon rolls as the kids are eating cinnamon rolls. You say, well, guess what? Ezekiel had to eat a roll. What kind of roll? Well, it was a scroll like this. And you, out in the garage, you made a, a little scroll and you show them this is, and this, and Ezekiel ate this scroll. Why would he eat the scroll? Because it was an example of what we're supposed to do, eat up the word of God. And, and like as a dad, you could make a fun family devo out of, out of something that we studied on Wednesday night. And suddenly you'll own that dad. What do you mean? Well, if you don't do that devo and you just heard Pastor Brett yak for, you know, 30 minutes on the scroll and the eating of the book, you'll forget it. You'll go back and somewhere the Bible says something about the book and a scroll and getting a tummy ache or something. Um, but if you teach it to your kids, I guarantee you'll own that scripture from that point on. You'll, you'll remember. There's, some, there's nothing better to internalize and own a scripture and say, I, I know where that is. I know where it is in the Bible and I know how it goes and I know why it's there. When you share it with someone else, you start to own that scripture. You can do that in devos with your family. You can do that in Sunday school. You can do that in a Friday morning Bible study with a bunch of your friends. You can, like there's so many ways you can um, take and share the word of God. Um, it's one of the things I'm most thankful for is early, the Lord put me in a place where I had to uh, really learn from my pastor how to, how to share the word of God. And I'm so thankful for that. Uh, a lot of my friends said, yeah, we've heard that before or whatever, and they dismissed it. But I, I got a, a, a great diet of scripture when I was a kid from my parents, from my pastor, from my church, and a love for the word. I hope you have that same thing. Don't become jaded. Um, that's what happened to the children of Israel. You know, here's Ezekiel the prophet sent from God to share the word, but the people are like, yeah, whatever, we don't wanna hear him. That's the idea, same as Jeremiah. Well, You've got number one, the consuming of God's word. Number two, the commissioning to preach God's word in verses four through 11 there. That's the commissioning to preach God's word. Number three, we have then something else that's important for Ezekiel, not just to share the word, but to do it with the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And that's number three, the coming of the spirit. That's number three on our notes, the coming of the spirit. And that's really just as verse, uh, verses 12 through 14. It says there, then the spirit took me up and I heard behind me a voice of a great rushing saying, blessed be the glory of the Lord from his place. 
I heard also the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another and the noise of the wheels over against them and the noise of a great rushing so that the spirit lifted me up and took me away and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. So why did he have bitterness? That was because he ate up the scroll. I, that, that's where the bitterness might come in. Uh, only in the first part we read about the sweetness. But now he's got bitterness and that matches the book of Revelation chapter 10. Are you guys with me on that? We saw the bitterness in Revelation. Now we see bitterness. He's lifted up in the spirit and he's got the bitterness uh, in the heat of his spirit. Um, now, what's going on here and who's lifting him up? I don't know, but it seems like these, these creatures that we looked at last week with the wings and the wheels, the wheels within wheels, the gyroscopic flying creatures. Remember that whole thing? Um, maybe he's being lifted up by the spirit that was within those wheels, within those characters or those creatures. Uh, if you missed that last week, you'll probably need to catch up. But that's probably where Ezekiel's being sort of caught up in this, uh, the Holy Spirit is kind of the idea. And you and I, we need to depend on and lean on the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, you know, ask the Lord for a fresh filling of the Spirit. Uh, what does the Spirit do for you? Uh, read John 14, John chapter 16. You know, the Holy Spirit will come in comfort, but he'll also remind you of truth. Um, you, when you're sharing the word with your kids or with your Bible study group, ask the Spirit to speak through you. Um, you know, we sort of magical, uh, you know, heebie-zeebie the Holy Spirit. Oh, speaking in tongues and all this stuff. But, um, but I believe in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I'm not a cessationist. Uh, the Bible speaks very clearly of how the church is to operate in these things. And speaking in tongues is the least of the gifts the Bible says, and it should only be done in certain situations. And it's very restricted, honestly. Read 1 Corinthians 14. But a word of prophecy, and this is not being a prophet, but a word of prophecy in the New Testament church is when the Spirit speaks through a person uh, a word of ex exhortation, edification, and or comfort. Um, and there's nothing like that. Have you ever been sharing with someone and you just don't really know what to tell them? And then the Lord just puts something on your heart and you speak it out and you can just tell you kind of you nailed what the situation was. And you think, oh, that was the Lord speaking through me. It's not by might nor by your own power, but it's by what? By my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Um, the, the spirit moving in you, that's where the power is. Uh, when you're speaking the word, ask the Lord to freshly fill you with the spirit. Ezekiel eats the word, then he's given the commission to preach the word, and then the coming of the spirit comes upon him to be effective in his sharing of the word. Verses 12 through 14. And then you have in verse 15, number four on our list here in, the, in this chapter, a calling to be a watchman. The calling to be a watchman, verse 15 through 21. It says, then I came to them of the captivity at Tel Aviv, not the same Tel Aviv. Uh, by the way, B's in the Hebrew uh, often are actually sounding like uh, V. Uh, so this is the word Tel Aviv, just like the one in Israel. But this is not Tel Aviv in Israel. This is the Tel Aviv that's by uh, Babylon. So I came to the captivity at, at uh, Tel Aviv that dwelt by the river Kibar, and I sat where they sat and remained there, astonished among them seven days. Why is Ezekiel astonished? I think maybe, uh, I can't be dogmatic about this, but maybe he was astonished at their own inability to hear or their rebellious nature. Maybe he was astonished, man, here we are sitting in, by the river in Babylon um, and we're just kind of bummed because we're in captivity and all the horrible things that had happened to us um, and now here we are. Maybe you're just sitting there for seven days in a sort of mesmerized astonishment. But after he comes to, verse 16, and it came to pass at the end of the seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me saying, son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. Um, what, what was a watchman in Bible times supposed to do? Number one, they were to uh, look for the enemy. Watch out for the enemy. They'd stand, the watchman on the wall would stand and look for the enemy that's gonna come and try to you know, destroy and, and hurt and attack. Um, so they would, number one, look for the enemy. Number two, they would declare the time, just like in the movies, you know, uh, 
two o'clock and all is well. They, the watchman on the wall would declare the time uh, of the day. And that was part of a watchman's job. Uh, and I find that interesting because that's, that's what Ezekiel was supposed to do. He was supposed to, supposed to warn the people, but he was also supposed to declare the times they were living and what God was doing in those times. I believe that anybody who's in ministry and especially a, a pastor or a preacher needs to be a watchman. I get criticized from time to time for the, like a comment like I made earlier tonight about Joel Osteen. Because some of you probably, oh, I love Joel. He's got a nice mullet and he smiles and, <laughs> and he just seems like a really happy guy. And Brett, don't be so mean. You're just a mean guy. Um, talking about Joel that way, you know, or Benny Hinn, you know, or some of these other guys I've called out over the years. And some people think Brett's just a grouchy person. No, 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 no. Uh, I believe a good pastor is gonna watch and warn the congregation. You gotta warn about things that are off. Um, and some people don't like that. You know, I've talked about Bethel uh, and, and, you know, a lot of young people, oh, but Bethel's music is so awesome. It is. It's amazing. They're, they've got some of the best Christian music out there. The only problem is the church, the Bethel church, is doctrinally way off, way off. And they look great from the outside. And a lot of people haven't really done the due diligence to say, what do they believe? Um, but if you look and if you do a little research, you kind of think, whoo, there's some really crazy beliefs there. They minimize Jesus. That's the worst thing they do. It's not the gold dust falling from the ceiling or them flopping on the ground or soaking up the souls of the people in graves. Like that's all part of their thing too. That's not even the, the problem. That's all what I would call sort of charismaniac stuff that they're still brothers, but they're just our, our weird brothers uh, that flop around. Um, and the Bible doesn't teach that uh, about flopping around and soaking graves and glitter falling from the ceiling. That's just goofy stuff but where their doctrine is ever so subtle is they, they diminish Jesus and they glorify themselves. That's where Bethel's doctrine goes. And so people say, Brett, you shouldn't say anything bad about Bethel. And by the way, the, the real Bethelites, they get hugely defensive, like almost militant when you, when you talk to them about it. They get really mad. Well, who are you? I'm just a watchman on the wall trying to say, hey, church, watch out. Don't, get, don't hook, line, and sinker, you know, get sucked into bad doctrine. Uh, I don't like calling things out. Um, I don't enjoy that. Um, but you just, you need to check and see if the Bible says it or, or not. If, if I'm wrong, then show me in the Bible where, where um, you know, diminishing Jesus and glorifying ourselves is actually something that we really wanna do. Uh, and, and, and that's the problem. I, I believe that the, a lot of pastors sort of tiptoe these days around the controversial topics um, or don't even really care anymore. I've, I've got a lot of pastor friends that I'd say, why wouldn't you call out Bethel? Oh, I think they just love Jesus and we just need to accept everybody. And yeah, but do you understand that there are good Christian people sort of having their faith eventually derailed because they get a little bit off over here and they end up way over here. And uh, we need to be watchmen on the wall. That's why Paul in Acts 20 talked about, we need to watch and warn the congregation. It's part of a pastor's job. And the pastor that's not watching and warning about wolves and, and people that are eating up the sheep, uh, that's not a good pastor at all. And he has no business being in the pulpit. I hope we see that and I and, uh, hope you understand. It's not my uh, you know, intention to be the, the jerk pastor going around and saying, you watch out for this group and don't like those guys over there. That's not my intention at all. It's just to be a watchman on the wall, watching about the enemy, sneaking in, and then also declaring the days, the time we're living. That's what the watchman does. Well, verse 18, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die and thou givest him not warning, nor speaketh to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Ooh, I think every pastor needs to read that and say, what is the Lord saying? He's gonna hold the watchman accountable when the people get taken by the enemy. That's a pretty sobering uh, statement. Yet, verse 19, if thou warn the wicked and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way. He shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because thou hast not given him warning, you know, warning about the stumbling block. He shall die in his sin and his righteousness, which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. 
Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live because he is warned. Also thou hast delivered thy soul. Now remember, this is Old Testament um, and we're talking to Jews here. There is a little bit of a different thing there in the New Testament where um, we're saved by God's grace. And we you know, we know that uh, we are sinners and we have iniquity. Um, and so we repent of our sins, but even if we make mistakes, it's not like we're gonna you know, be destroyed for our sins because we believe in Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. But that's one of the main things we need to be watching and warning about is, is uh, anybody who tries to get in the way of Jesus Christ. Man, that's the number one thing you and I should be watching and warning about is when anybody tries to replace Jesus or become more important than Jesus, that's always a, a, a dead giveaway of serious trouble. So we have here the watchman, uh, you know, and that, that was his calling, his calling. So the consuming of God's word, number one, eating it up, the commissioning to preach God's word, verses uh, four through 11, the coming of the spirit upon Ezekiel before he ministered, verses 12 through 14, and then the calling to be a watchman, uh, verses 15 through 21. And then lastly, we have the controlling of the speech, the controlling of the speech. Check it out, verse 22, to the end of the chapter. It says, and the hand of the Lord was there upon me. And he said unto me, arise, go forth into the plain, and I will there talk with thee. Then I arose and went forth into the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there as the glory which I saw by the river of Kibar, and I fell on my face. There's another example of where, you know, when somebody's in the glory of God's presence, what's the first thing they do? Fall on their face. The flat-nosed people of the Bible. There's a lot of them, they hit the ground as soon as they see the glory of God, boom, they're on the ground. Uh, talk about slaying in the spirit. Um, verse 24, then the spirit entered into me and set me upon my feet and spake with me and said unto me, go, shut thyself within thine house. But thou, O son of man, behold, they shall put bands upon thee and bind thee with them and thou shalt not go out among them. And I will make thy tongue cleave to the roof of thy mouth that thou shalt be dumb. And thou shalt not be to them a reprover for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with thee, I will open thy mouth and thou shalt say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, he that heareth, let him hear. And he that forbeareth, let him forbear for they are a rebellious house. Isn't it interesting here that uh, the Lord says, I, I gotta talk to you, so come out to this special place. The Lord shows him his glory and then says, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna go home, set yourself in your house, and they're gonna come and get you and they're gonna, they're gonna bind you up, Ezekiel, but I, I'm gonna also bind up your tongue. There's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. Do any of you wonder what would have happened if Jesus just let everybody have it? You know, um, there's, there's uh, something within human nature that just loves to let people that are wrong and think they're really smart kind of be told off. We love that. There's movies like that where, you know, you finally see the bad guy who thinks they know everything, uh, get a mouthful thrown at him, and you're like, yes, they deserved everything that they got, you know. Um, but when you see Jesus standing before, you know, the Caiaphas and, and the, you know, Pontius Pilate and, and those scriptures that, and, and Jesus, you know, said not a word. Like, oh, come on, Jesus, if anybody could let them have it, you could. You could just say a few words that would make them feel like complete idiots. Do it, Lord. But isn't it interesting that Jesus chose to say nothing? A lot of his trial, he said nothing. And there's a time to speak and there's a time not to. And Jesus, who is perfect, knew when to say stuff and when not to say stuff. How are you at keeping your mouth are you good at saying, you know, this, this is the time I think the Lord's really not wanting me to say anything. It's hard for me. You know, I, I, I often get defensive. Somebody says something and I'll say something defensive. Well, what do you mean? What do you think about that? And start, blah, 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 start talking, you know, just jabbering. But sometimes it's just best to be silent. Um, I remember, you know, seeing my dad on the job site. Have, you construction guys know, you know all those guys that run around and think they know everything about construction? There's some guys that just know everything. They, they just know everything. 
The, the, the truth is, and I, I know you guys think I'm just bragging, but this is true. My dad knows everything about construction. Like he's, he's built uh, just about everything, dams, giant bridges, houses, uh, skyscraper. Like he's, he's been superintendent. He was a superintendent of the Castaic Lake Dam down in California at the age of 23. Uh, if you know Castaic Lake Dam, it's, uh, the, the tunnel, the intake tunnel is seven miles long. My dad was in charge of that, building that. Um, like the, the guy knows a lot. But I remember going on job sites and there would guys walk up, oh, you know, who's this guy, you know, Todd Metter. And he, they'd always talk like they knew big stuff. And, and I, I just remember, you know, my dad would just quietly listen to the guy with the big mouth talk about how much he knew. And my dad would never say, well, actually, you know, uh, the funny thing is, is uh, it, it wouldn't take long, even in my dad's silence, that I, I noticed that somehow it always worked out where the guy ended up just kind of, being stumped uh, at watching the way my dad would do things. Um, I'll never forget this one time we were, it's a long story, I guess, but uh, <laughs> it, it was this old Medco building that we, we were down in Medford and it was um, all these, this old timber from this old mill and it was beautiful wood. And the owner of the mill was tearing it all apart and he, and he told us, uh, our church, if you guys want any of the wood out of this, come and get it. And it's all yours for free. And we're like, yes. So we, my dad and, and a crew of guys went down there. And some of the guys who didn't know my dad, you know, my dad was outlining, okay, we're gonna take those trusses over there. Seriously, there were trusses that were like as big as this truss right here, only huge wood. And we were gonna take that wood from the, this, like, how do you do that? Well, my dad explained it. And one guy, I remember after my dad explained, okay, here's what you guys are gonna do this, what happens if he explained it. And, uh, and this guy said, well, you, you can't do that. You, you just can't do that. Well, the funny thing is, my dad and I were there the day before and we already cut and lowered one of these trusses. And, and my dad, you know, he showed me how to do it. I didn't know anything. But um, the guy just kind of said, um, yeah, you can't, you just can't do that. Um, and I, I thought, well, my dad's gonna tell him, uh, you really can and you're an idiot. Um, but my dad said, oh, okay, that's, that's right. Why don't, you just, uh, why don't you just stay there? And, and, and my dad said, Brett, let's go. And uh, I, I ran off, you know, I'm like, I'm like maybe 14 at this time. But my, it's, a, it's a great story. I just remember it happening so perfectly where uh, my dad, you know, zipped up on one side, I zipped up on the other. And he was on this, uh, it was, it, it, you know, Today, I don't think it would pass OSHA, um, but, uh, but we, we were up there and literally with a chainsaw in one hand and some chains and a come along and a lift over here and stuff, my dad's like, and we lower, just, just my dad and I lower this huge truss, but just the two of us, it, it really should have been like a six or seven man job, but because we knew how to do it, uh, we did it in like just a few minutes and the guys were just like, and it wasn't me, it was my dad just kind of, and he knew, I remember my dad using like a skill saw. You know, some of you guys have fancy chop saws and table saws and all these fans. My dad could use a skill saw better than most guys. The end product of ripping a piece of plywood, he would have a perfectly straight cut. He could cut a 45 without using, changing the fence or the, or the table on the skill saw. He could just eyeball, and you'd get a square out and you'd say, that's a perfect 45. Like he just knew how to do stuff. But the, the thing about my dad is he never once said, I know how to do all this stuff. Um, I love that. That's what Jesus did when he was standing there before the Sanhedrin. He could have blown their minds. He could have told them who's gonna shoot JFK. <laughs> he could have told them about, uh, you know, uh, Tesla vehicles someday that'll go on energy and they won't need, you won't need gasoline. He could have flown an F-16 in front of them in Jerusalem and said, any more questions? Like, like Jesus could have done whatever he wanted but he was silent, he was silent. And there's something really weighty and, and strong about the person that's not just jabbering his mouth or her mouth, trying to make themselves look good or sound intelligent or anything, but just being, being quiet and being still. That's what Ezekiel was told by the Lord. I want you to, to control your, your, your speech and I'm gonna shut your mouth, even when they're wrong and they're accusing you, but then at the, uh, at the right moment, I'm gonna open your mouth and then I'm gonna give you what you're supposed to say. I wonder if you and I, we live in a culture where everybody's just jabbering on social media, people are jabbering at work and around the water cooler, people are jabbering on the news, jabber, jabber, jabber. Everybody knows everything about everything. I wonder if maybe some of us should just say, we're gonna be the quiet ones. And we're gonna wait until the Lord gives us that exact word that needs to be spoken. And you mark my words, if you're that person, uh, 
when you open your mouth, people will go, wait a minute, what did you just say? And everybody will listen because the weightiness of what you're actually saying, there's, there's something behind it that's actually hefty and legit. Um, the controlling of one's speech. Sometimes I worry that we jabber so much that we, we, um, we almost have lost our effectiveness. Um, the philosopher, you know, Kierkegaard maybe um, didn't mean this as a compliment, but he once told a story about a circus that caught on fire and the flames from the circus spread to the fields and then the flames from the fields to the surrounding barns and the village was really threatened where the circus was burning. Um, the circus master convinced that the village would be destroyed and all the people um, killed unless they were warned. They thought we gotta send somebody to go warn everybody. So they sent the clown. And the clown went running through the village and warning the people. The clown dressed in full costume, jumped on a bicycle and sped down the hill into the village. And he said, run for your lives, run for your lives as he pedaled his bicycle and his clown outfit. And the village people came out on their porches and they let, oh, look at the clown, oh, that's hilarious. He's a real hoot. And up and down the streets, the village is gonna burn, run for your lives. They came out and they shouted back at the clown, laughing and applauding his great performance. But the more desperately the clown shouted, the more the villagers cheered, but the village burned and the loss of life was great because no one took the clown seriously. He was just a clown. Like that story, uh, I, I wonder, and this is where Kierkegaard probably meant it as an insult, but I think sometimes pastors, priests, religious leaders play a role in the church that sort of negates their message. You know, if you watch the movies today uh, or the TV shows, whenever they have a pastor or a priest, ever notice how they make him the goofiest, weirdest uh, guy in the, in the whole group? Um, for all you ladies that like Pride and Prejudice, Mr. Collins, isn't that the name of the, the pastor? He's a total nitwit. Uh, he, in fact, he's one of the most nitwitty people I've ever seen in the world, ever. That's why I hate Pride and Prejudice. Um, it's a waste of time. <laughs> Ooh, I'm sorry. Ooh, the lady's like, <laughs> like you know, talking about my, my pride and prejudice that way. Mr. Collins, the clergyman, you know. Um, but but I, 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 I see Mr. Collins and the Pride and Prejudice and I, and I think, you know, sadly, that's where a lot of pastors, they're, they're, they're these guys that, and again, I have to be careful. I don't wanna sound like I'm trying to just insult a bunch of pastors. I'm just saying what we need is guys that, are, that sure can laugh and have a good time, but also have a seriousness about them that, that when they are warning the congregation about things that are happening, the congregation, oh, that's great, whatever. You know, and, and we've sort of delegitimized the watchman role or the, the ministry role. Um, it's up to us, or hopefully ordinary people. I think sometimes you know, people in ministry can stop being ordinary and suddenly they, they're almost like some actor themselves. And they're sort of unbelievable sometimes. But you know, Jesus taught us there, you know, of course, in Mark 16, 15, that we're to preach the gospel to the whole world and we can't expect people to take the gospel seriously if we are unwilling to speak the word of God seriously and, and be a witness about his true power and his true love. You and I need to be good representations, I think, of, of what the gospel really means. And there needs to be a reality to it. And I think we need to maybe measure our words and, and not be given to just talking, 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 but maybe measure out our words enough to say that when I'm gonna say something serious, people know I'm not just a clown and that uh, there's something that's actually legitimate that we need to have said here. Um, I'm not just talking to myself. I'm not just talking to pastors and preachers. I'm talking to all of us. We live in a day where people need to hear the truth and uh, there needs to be a weightiness behind what we're saying. How do you do that? Well, I think these five things we've looked at tonight are kind of interesting things for us to consider. First of all, you gotta consume God's word. You've gotta be commissioned to preach the word. You need to have the Holy Spirit come upon you. You, need, you have a calling to be a watchman and speak the truth about telling the times that we're living in and warning of the enemy. But then lastly, controlling of the speech, just like Ezekiel was told by the Lord to control when he spoke 
And I see all of these things come together that gives Ezekiel a weightiness and makes him a great prophet of the Old Testament. Something that you and I can learn from and give us weightiness when we talk about matters of the Lord. So may the Lord give us as a church ears to hear what the Lord says to the church tonight. In Jesus' name, let's pray together. And Father, how thankful we are, these good reminders. Your, your word is so spot on every single time. And I pray that we'd have ears to hear and, and Lord, hearts to do what your word says. I pray, Lord, that we would take your word seriously and be ready to um, speak your word in season and out of season. I pray for the dads in this room, that they would be given to teaching the word and sharing family devos with their kids at home and, and, and passing on what they're learning here at church, Lord, and, and what they're reading in the word themselves, Lord. And I pray that, that uh, for, for the moms, that they too would be able to speak truth into their kids' lives and, and, and for parents that they would not just speak, but live the things that they're teaching, Lord. There's nothing worse than uh, parents that are saying to do one thing, but they themselves do another. Lord, I pray that your church, we'd have more and more people raised up to speak your word. I pray that the men and women that are out in the workplace, that they would measure their words and use their, their um, studying of your word as a springboard to speak truth, even in the most secular of minds and hearts, that people might have ears to hear the truth. I pray that these guys and gals here in this room and also online would get to places where me as a pastor, Lord, could never go. Uh, people that would never set foot in a church. I pray that, that the men and women of Athey Creek would go out into all the world and, and speak the truth and preach the gospel as well, that many might come to know you. So, Lord, give us inspiration uh, from what we've read tonight. I pray that you'd apply these things by your spirit. Bless your church tonight, we pray. Thank you for this evening in Jesus' name. Amen.